you have your Bible, you can go ahead and find the book of Hosea this morning. Hosea is in the Old Testament. It's part of what we would call the minor prophets. Uh, They are minor not because of their message being minor, but because of their length compared to the major prophets of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, and Ezekiel. Hosea is the first of the Minor Prophets, and one of the reasons we're going to do this here is uh, we won't go through a 12-week series on the Minor Prophets, but over the next year, my hope is that we would cover all 12 of the Minor Prophets. But as you're turning there, and as you find it, you may need to look it up on your uh, table of contents or um, on your phone. the, The song we just sang, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that saved a wretch like me. Perhaps the most famous song, whether you're, you're a believer or not, no matter what religious background, at least in Western civilization, that is probably the most famous song written about 237 years ago. And that first line, almost everyone knows that line, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. What, I messed it up. Everyone knows that line, <laughs> that saved a wretch like me. Uh, but as I, as I looked into that song, that there's a movement that, that wants to kind of just tweak that. Like, let's make it a little bit more sensible for our, our day and age. I mean, do we really need this language of, of wretchedness? I mean, that doesn't, that doesn't sit well with us. And so some have changed it to be amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved and strengthens me. And on the one hand, you're like, okay, it does do that, but, but it really loses the impact. Do, do, we, do we really say that? Our, um, do we really need amazing grace? Is it amazing grace if it just saves and strengthens me? Or, or are we just kind of basically morally neutral, kind of nice people, and we could change the song, you know, kind of nice grace for kind of nice people. <laughs> now, I, I think that the scripture, if we're, if we're going to look at it from a biblical worldview, uh, that song is, is amazing, and it's found its place in our hearts for a specific reason, because it resonates the truth that, that God's grace is amazing because it does save wretches, and it turns them into sons and daughters, and so we would, we would do ourselves a disservice to, to tweak that. But, but I, I would say, suggest that maybe there's a better word than even amazing grace to describe the gospel, and I think we see this in this book of Hosea this morning. The word I would suggest is maybe not a word you would normally associate with grace or the love of God, but but what if we change it to scandalous, scandalous grace that saved a wretch like me? See, when you understand the gospel, and as we, as we rehearse the gospel every week, there should be a, a sense of, of scandal in the air. Every time you come to this communion table and, and take the bread and dip it in the wine, that there should be a sense of scandal that God would... Is my water around there? Sorry. Thank you. Get into it. That God would go to such lengths. I hope that the communion table never becomes... A religious motion for you. We're going to look at what James Montgomery Boyce called the second greatest story ever told in the book of Hosea. He says it's the second greatest story ever told because it points to the greatest story ever told. And if there was one word that captured the message of Hosea, it would be scandalous grace. Oh, that God would make us a people of scandalous grace. 
that understand that we have been scandalously loved and then that we are to scandalously love other people. Let's look at the book of Hosea this morning. Hosea chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Bere, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. I'll just stop right there. To you and me, those probably mean nothing to you. But, but what they do for us is they, they, if, if we were to go back in our history, in the history of the people of God, it sets us in a time and a place and a, and a context that we can begin to understand the message of Hosea. Hosea was this prophet that God called when he was in his teens. And for, for many, many years, he, he was called to prophesy. And so uh, in, during the course of Hosea's life, uh, we, we, we can set it in this time. Hosea lives in what at this point in the history of Israel, the northern kingdom. The two kingdoms have split, the southern kingdom of Judah and the northern, northern kingdom of Israel. And in the northern, northern kingdom, they continue to turn their back on God and continue to rebel and go after the Baals and the, the false idol worship and all the other things that God had prohibited them. And, and so God calls Hosea and says, I want you to be my mouthpiece. And, and in this time, there, it's a time of intense political, cultural, and religious unrest. Politically, in, in a six-year period in, in Hosea's life, 12, I'm sorry, in a 12-year period, six kings will be assassinated. So there's political instability. There's social instability. There, there is this growing gap between the rich and the poor. We see that there's this oppression of the poor and, and not realizing that all people are created in God's image. And so uh, they're offending their maker because of that. And then there's this religious instability. They go to the temple and they, they go through the motions and they pray and they do their offerings and then they go up on the side of the mountain and they do the same thing for Baal and for Ashtoreth and for all the other gods and God is not pleased with that. So God sends prophet after prophet and, and the prophets say, come back. God has loved you. He's rescued you. He's brought you out of Egypt. He wants to be in relationship with you, uh, but you continue to go away and, and, and the prophets come and, and the people say, stop. We don't want to hear that. And, and they put some of them to death. And then they surround themselves with prophets that say, uh, peace, security, prosperity, and comfort. That's what God's plan is for your life. And then so God calls Hosea and says, they're just not getting it. They're not understanding what's at stake here. They're not understanding the love I have for them. They're not understanding the covenant relationship we're supposed to be in. And so, Hosea, I'm going to use your life as an illustration, a, a lived out parable for my people. And so here's what he does. Verse 2, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Okay, well, welcome to Redemption Parker. Uh, that, I mean, wow, that's, that's not even language, hopefully you even have it as part of your vocabulary, but whoredom, whoredom, whoredom. A couple years ago, I was a guest speaker, and I, I chose to do Hosea, but I didn't realize at the time that it was uh, Mother's Day, and I did this passage. <laughs> it's the worst Mother's Day message ever. 
But do you see what he's asking Hosea to do? He says, Hosea, they're, they're not getting it. So uh, you're going to go marry uh, uh, this person, and, and she's, she's going to be a whore. And she's going to have children of whoredom. And, and because my people, uh, that, that's basically how they relate to me as their God, their whores. To make matters worse, we see uh, in verse 3, so he went and, and took Gomer. Now, that, I just, I got to believe if your wife's name's Gomer, she can't be hot. So, I mean, it just gets, because I, I just need to press on. But so she went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblum, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now, now at this point, we don't know, does she already have a reputation of, of kind of loose living or not? But, but, uh, I kind of believe that she does. I kind of believe that she already had a reputation, and now the prophet of God, the man of God, is called to go and, and not just go through the motions. We'll, we'll see in this passage, he's called to love her, like, like to really give his heart to her and, and to marry her. And it says she bore him a son. Now, the language there is such that it's probably his son, that, that it's from him. So, so this is early on in the marriage. She, they have a son, but then as they have the son, God shows up again and, and tells Hosea what to do. Verse 4, And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel. Now again, if you don't know your Old Testament history, you're like, that's kind of a strange name. But, but no, that, that is, is a scandalous name because Jezreel, Jezreel is that place of, of bloodshed and, and just great atrocities. And, and if you went back and looked at it, you're like, ooh, Jezreel. So whenever anyone heard the name, like tonight, today we were up here and that's Julian. But if we said, this is Jezreel, you'd be like, what, the place where, where, where the prophets cut up the people and, and the blood of uh, you know, all these, this history of of just, just debauchery, and, 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 and he says, call him Jezreel. For in just a little while, I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day, I will break the bow of Israel and in the valley of Jezreel. So here you've got Hosea, the prophet of God, married to the woman of kind of a, a scandalous reputation, and now they've got a son named Jezreel. Who wants to hang out with them? Well, it goes from bad to worse, actually. Verse 6, she conceived again, but now the language isn't so clear. We don't know, is this Hosea's child or is it someone else? It's not clear. And bore a daughter this time. And the Lord said to him, Call her name Lo Rohuma, or No Mercy, or Not Loved. So, so name your daughter Not Loved, Hosea. Name your daughter No Mercy, Hosea. For I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. That's hard. That's a hard word from the Lord. So you've got Jezreel, you've got Loruhumah, and then verse 8. When she had weaned Loruhumah, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, call his name Loami, not my people. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. 
So that's a, that's a, that's a tough call. He, he's saying, you're going to represent me, Hosea, but, but your children are going to res- represent the, the people I've called out. And, and there's this continual rejection, continual pushing back against the things of God. But even in this, there, there is a hint. It doesn't, it doesn't stop there. There's a hint of, uh, of hope on the horizon. It says, yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. Now, this does not happen in Hosea's life. Hosea lived about 750 years before Jesus. It would not happen again until Jesus' time. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 9 will point back to these verses and say, this is now coming to fruition, but we're getting ahead of ourselves because the story hasn't been played out just yet. Look at chapter 2. For their mother has played the whore. Gomer has gone out. She's, she's turned her back on her covenant relationship with her husband, Hosea, and, and she's gone out and she's seeked after other lovers. She who, had, who conceived them has acted shamefully, for she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my, my oil and my drink. So we, we saw this in the Genesis series that, that all sin is rooted in this belief that what God has for us, what God's will for us is ultimately not for our best. And so we turn our back and we say, out there is better in here. What, what God says is not as good as what I can get out there. And so that's what she's done. She said, I'm going to go after these other gods because uh, I can get my bread, my wool, my flax, my oil, and my drink. And, and she begins to whore herself out. Verse 6, Hosea prays this prayer. Therefore, I will hedge her up with thorns. I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. It's the the prayer of the the hedge of the thorns. Maybe some of you have prayed these prayers for loved ones, for spouses, for children, for friends that you know they're on a path that leads to destruction. And so you're saying, Lord, would you just make it difficult? Will you make it painful for them even, Lord, to continue to go down that path because that path leads to death. And so Hosea is praying, but it's also as if God is praying for his people here, saying that he's going to hedge them in. Verse 7, she shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but she shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. It's like the, the prodigal son who wakes up one day in, in, surrounded by pigs, and he's like, actually, it was better with my father than it is here. That's the prayer he's, he's begging the Lord to do in Gomer's life. Verse 8, and she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. It says, here's the great tragedy. All the good things in her life that she thinks she gets outside of her marriage, outside of her family, are actually coming from Hosea. He's actually still providing for her, still caring for her, even in the midst of her, their rebellion. And, and again, you ask the question, who's talking here? Is it God or Hosea? And the answer is yes. Both of them. It says, but yet they turn their back and use it for Baal. 
It's, it's this tragedy of, of, of broken covenant, broken relationship, of whoredom, as Hosea says. But then there's gospel grace. Look at chapter 3. It says, And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Again, this is not... Jose, you're just going to be a visual illustration. This is really give your heart to this woman that has time and time and time and time again broken your heart, broken your covenant, broken your relationship. Go, Hosea, love her. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisin. Cakes of raisin. So, put something else in there. Like, what is up with that? Like, they're they're turning their back on the living God of the universe because they've got cakes of raisin. They've got Twinkies. They're like, we don't need God. we got Twinkies. I mean, it it sounds absolutely ridiculous, right? Because here you've got God, the, the one who speaks and the universe comes into existence, the one who loves and pursues, the one who creates all things, the most beautiful person in the universe who is offering himself in relationship. And over here, you've got cakes of raisin. And they're like, we'll take the cakes of raisin. But, but honestly, before we laugh at them too much, no matter what we put in the blank, compared to the infinite worth and majesty and glory of God, whatever we put in that blank is like cakes of raisins. It's Twinkies. Uh, I've got safety and security and comfort. I don't need God. I've got prestige status, and, and, and I've, got, I've got the great family. Whatever you put in that blank is laughable compared to a relationship with the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so for cakes of raisins, they turn their back on God, but we are tempted for equally ridiculous things. Well, so it says, uh, then verse 2 begins this, unfolding of, of what we see, the gospel. See, see in, in, in John chapter 5, Jesus said, the scriptures testify about me. Uh, in Luke chapter 24, we looked at a couple months ago, it says uh, Jesus is talking to the people on the road to Emmaus, and he says, uh, beginning with Moses and all the scriptures, he showed the disciples Jesus in the scriptures. And so we should look, when we look at the minor prophets, we should look, where is Jesus present? And now we begin to see where Jesus shows up. He says to her, well, well at this point, Gomer has gone from bad to worse, and apparently she's fallen out of favor with her many lovers. She's actually found herself in slavery to her lovers, and and at one point, whoever her slave owner is has had enough of her, has used her and abused her enough, and so he puts her on the slave auction. And in those days, and for that person, the way you do that, you, you put the woman up on a block, naked so they can see the goods, though many of the men in the community had already done that. And then there begins this slave auction. Now picture the scene, a a naked woman known by everyone in the town, known for her, her rebellion and her adultery, known for being the one married to that crazy prophet that is always calling people back to God. And now the bidding begins and someone says, I'll give one shekel. Another says, I'll give two shekels. And the third says, I'll give, I'll give four shekels. And Hosea is called to come into that scene 
mocked and scorned by everyone saying, man, you're here? What kind of fool is this guy? And he says, I'll give five shekels. I imagine at this point, Gomer is on the block, and just to maintain whatever very thin shred of dignity she has left, she has her eyes closed, and she hears the men in the community bartering for her five shekels, six shekels. She, she recognizes many of the voices. She hears Hosea's voice, I'll give seven shekels. Imagine at that point, maybe she opens her eyes a little bit, and she sees her husband of her youth, the barding continues. I'll give eight shekels, 10 shekels. Hosea says, I'll give 12 shekels. Someone says, I'll give 13. Then verse two, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. So that's about another 15 shekels worth of money. So 30 shekels of silver. He goes and he buys his wife back from the auction block and brings her into his house. And he says this, and I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. That's scandalous grace. That's a scandalous call for Hosea to go rescue and redeem his wife in that setting. It reminds me of a story uh, of Tony Campolo, is a Christian sociologist. Tony was uh, invited to, to be a speaker at a conference in Hawaii, but he lives in, in Philadelphia. So when you fly from Philadelphia to Hawaii, uh, and you, you, there's like a seven-hour time difference there, so you get some jet lag. And he says, when you, when you go there, you, you wake up at about 2 o'clock in the morning hungry for, for some breakfast. And so he just got up, and he's like, it's Honolulu. I got to just go out and see if there's, there's somewhere to go. And so he goes out, and most of the reputable places are closed, but he looks down this alley and he sees this diner. It looks like a little greasy spoon of the diner. And he goes in and he, he says, the inside was worse than the outside. Uh, it was just, it was as bad as you can think it is. And out from the back uh, comes uh, this guy. He's got a, a name tag on his, his greasy white shirt. Uh, it says Harry. And Harry is Harry. And he's got grease everywhere. And now all of a sudden, Tony's like, I'm starting to lose my appetite, actually. And so he looks over and he's like, what are you having? And uh, Tony says, well, looks over, sees a case of uh, donuts, like that's probably safe. I'll, I'll take uh, a donut and a cup of coffee. And so Harry grabs the donut and hands it to him and like wipes off his shirt and uh, gets, pours him the coffee. He's like, oh man. So he's like, I'm just going to eat my donut, drink my coffee and get out of there. And, and just about that moment, the, the door to the diner open, opens up and about six or seven loud mouth, boisterous prostitutes walk in in Honolulu. And they come in and he's sitting at the diner and they sit on his right and on his left and, and Tony's like, oh man, I just need to finish up, get my check, get out of here. And uh, he's like, the language was the language that you would expect. And, and they're telling their stories of the night and he's like, man, I hope no one from the conference is here. Uh, but uh, he just needs to get back. And, and, and said, right when he was about to get up and go away, one prostitute on his right says to the prostitute on the left, she says, tomorrow's my birthday. And the one on the left says, so what? So what? It's your birthday. What do you want us to throw you a party? What do you want us to make you a cake? And the one on the right says, no, I, I, didn't, I didn't say that. I, I've never had a party. I've never had a cake. I'm just saying tomorrow's my birthday. 
They're like, okay, big deal. It's your birthday. So what? Everyone has a birthday. Tony says, in that moment, he made a decision. He waited for all the prostitutes to leave. And he said, hey, Harry, uh, that, those, those girls, do they come in here every night? It's like, yeah, they come in here every night. Every night about 3.30? It's like, yeah, like clockwork, every night at 3.30. He says, that one on my right, do you, do you know her name? It's like, Agnes? What do you want to know about Agnes? It's like, nothing. It's just that she said tomorrow is her birthday. Why do you say we throw her a birthday party? He says, Harry gets a, a little smile for the first time all night and he says, that's a great idea. And he calls his wife out from the back. He says, hey, this guy wants to give Agnes a birthday party. And his wife says, oh, that would be, that would be great. I mean, I know what Agnes does and I know all that, but she's so nice. She's always trying to help other people and no one ever does anything for her. So that would be great. And Tony says, okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll bring streamers, I'll, I'll put up signs, we'll put up balloons, I'll bring a cake. And Harry's like, no, 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 I bake the cake. It's like, okay, just wash your hands. And, <laughs> and so they, they, they come up with the plan. So, so the next morning, he shows up about 2.30, and, and he starts to decorate this diner and puts up the streamers and the balloons, and, and, and Harry has, has baked a cake, and, and he says by about 3 o'clock, word must have gotten out because he, he said, I think every prostitute in Honolulu had jammed into this place. So it's wall-to-wall prostitutes and the Christian conference speaker uh, in this <laughs> diner, and uh, so uh, they're waiting for Agnes to show up. Finally, at 3.30, like clockwork, the door opens and Agnes walks in and everyone comes in and says, surprise, happy birthday. And they start singing to her, happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday, dear Agnes, happy birthday to you. And she's just shocked and stunned, and her jaw is on the floor, and, and she begins to walk forward, and out from the back comes Harry, and he's got the cake, and he's got the candles, and she's 39, and, and he's got 39 candles in there, and he, he's walking to her, and she, she starts crying. The makeup on her face runs, and Harry's not used to seeing prostitutes cry, and so he blows out the candles for her, and and uh, it's like, here's, here, here's your cake, Agnes. I made you a cake. And, uh, and he's like, here's the knife. You got to cut the cake, Agnes. It's your cake. And she's like, do I have to? He's like, well, I don't know. It's your cake. You can do with it what you want. So she's like, really? Because my, my mom lives a couple blocks away. Could I just take the cake and, and show it to her? Yeah, it's your cake. Do whatever you want. Like, Whatever. And so she takes the cake and, and walks with it like it's the Holy Grail and walks out of the diner. And now it's just this stunned silence with, with prostitutes and Tony. And Tony's like, oh, man, what do I do now? And he says, um, he steps up on a chair. He says, ladies, ladies, can I get your attention? Um, what do you say we pray for Agnes? And they're all like, what? And I just... Just let me pray for Agnes. I'm like, okay. And he begins to pray for Agnes and, and just pray, Lord, would you show mercy and grace to her? Would you show your goodness to her and kindness to Agnes? And then he closes and says, in Jesus' name, amen. And they're all just kind of looking at him. And here he says, hey, 
You said you were a sociologist. You're one of them preachers. He says, what kind of church do you go to anyway? And Tony says, in a moment of rare clarity, he says, I go to the kind of church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes. Harry says, no, you don't. There's not a church like that. If there was a church like that, I'd go to it. Wouldn't we all? Isn't that the kind of church Jesus came to establish? A scandalous church full of scandalously loved people who scandalously love people. See, the, the message of Hosea is more scandalous than that. God didn't just call Hosea to, to throw a birthday party for a prostitute. He called Hosea to marry the prostitute and, and to love the prostitute. But the message of the gospel is even more scandalous than that. God didn't just come to rescue and redeem prostitutes. He came to die for prostitutes. He came with his life. He was born into scandal, born to a, a virgin teenage mother, born into a, a small town community that always questioned his origin, born in, into this scandal. And he, and he, he grew up and, he, and he, he, he did miracles and works and he taught things that were scandalous. And the people in power, the religious leaders, did not like that message and they would eventually put him to death the message of the gospel is scandalous. Hosea came and saw his wife, Gomer, naked on a block. But here's how scandalous the message is. Not only is Jesus the better, the perfect Hosea, the rescuer, the redeemer, Jesus also in the message of the gospel is Gomer for us. Gomer stands on the block naked. Jesus stands, is nailed to a cross naked. This is a scandalous message. So that verse 19 of chapter 2 would one day become a reality for you and for me. It says, And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. That word know means you shall experience and be in relationship with the Lord. So, if it's true that scandalously loved people love people scandalously, the question, first for you individually, is who has God called you at this time in your life to love scandalously? Maybe you already know that person. Maybe that's that person at work where you're like, no, I can't, God. <laughs> you can. If you've been loved scandalously, you can love scandalously. Maybe it's a a spouse or a child or a friend or someone, that, that's a question for you as an individual. But then the question becomes for us as a community. What if Redemption Parker became known as that church that loves people scandalously and loves scandalous people? I mean, after all, isn't that why we're gathered? Isn't that why we have our gospel communities and we, we try to share the love of Christ in our neighborhoods and across this city? I don't know what that looks like yet for us as a community, but may that be our heart posture that when we see a, an opportunity to love scandalously, we remember the story and we get that kind of reputation. To that end, I want to pray for us and then we'll go to the scandalous table of grace.
Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Thank you for your scandalous love. God, we every week have to be reminded of it because we forget. I forget. I take it for granted. I take your love and the covenant that you've made with us for granted, but you have not just paid the slave price, you've paid the price by your blood to rescue and redeem us. So Lord, would you make us individually and corporately a people that are scandalously loved by you, that scandalously love other people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.